I really believe, and I teach my students this, that every time I teach or every time I listen to a sermon, that in some way or another, it's probably answering one of these four questions. I think the four great questions. Number one, the first one is what? Is there a God? You have to answer that. You have to settle that. Is there a God? But then once that issue, excuse me, is somewhat settled, the second question then is necessary to answer is what is this God like? The character of God, in my judgment, is the crucial issue. There are a lot of people that believe in some kind of force and power in the universe, but what it really boils down to is not that there's just this power in the universe, but what is the nature of this God? Everything, in my opinion, revolves around that. Every problem, every difficulty, every disappointment, every joy is usually related to understanding the nature of God. So that's the second. Then the third question, and again, I think every sermon, every time somebody's preaching or teaching should be answering this in some direct or indirect way. Third question, what does this God expect of me? All, all relationships have expectations, all of them. You know, if somebody just calls you when they want something, that's not much of a relationship. Uh, all relationships have some level of expectation. So what does God expect from me? And then the fourth one we've been digging down on and trying to finish is the fourth question is, what can I expect from God? Uh, this is where a lot of sorrow occurs, where people have been told, you could expect this, you should expect this, this is what God always does. And many times people are harmed because they've been told some things that they should be able to expect from God, and then it doesn't happen, and then there's all kinds of trauma. So we're trying to finish, finish that one out, uh, if you will. Now, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to the middle of it, if you want to, or your table of contents. We're going to be looking, continuing here at Psalm 23. You know, Larry and I were not in collaboration, but we discovered we were doing the same thing. Larry Harrison in the uh, sanctuary service, or as I like to call it, big church, right? No, you know, that's where big church is, so, you know. Um, uh, 507, <clears throat> Psalm 23, <clears throat> chapter uh, page 507, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read it for us. I think it's important for us to hear the, this, the scriptures. So it follows along like this. I'm reading from the New American Standard. The Lord is my shepherd, and so I shall not want. He makes me lie down <clears throat> in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God add his blessing to his word. We've been looking at this passage, and we've said what can I expect from God to be taken into his care, to be taken into his caring? We said that involves the following. It's on your outline there. Here again, a picture of shepherds leading. I want to just keep putting this into your mind that ancient Near East shepherds or shepherds in the Middle East are typically known to lead their sheep. Where I said before, in America, we tend to drive them. We tend to get behind them like cattle. And so when we are taken into his care, it is this, it's taken into his care, it's personal. Whose shepherd is he? My, my shepherd. It's personal. So we've discussed that. Number two, or B, 
taken into his care. Pause. How does this begin? What does he make you do? Rest. <clears throat> Lie down into green pastures. The Christian life, I said again, I'll say it again, begins with the posture of rest. Human beings were created on the sixth day. The first day of human existence was the Sabbath. So the first full days humans existed was a day of rest. We ought to remember that. Uh, take, uh, taken into his care, there is provision. <clears throat> Notice he, he, uh, he uh, uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me be beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. We work through those. Those are on your hand out there. Um, right there. I want to I stop there just for a second. That's where we ended last week, taken into his care, um, <clears throat> if you will. And then this is, he, he, I've got my things up here. He restores <clears throat> my soul. Remember I told you last week <clears throat> that the soul, nephesh in Hebrew means anything that breathes. And I was suggesting to you that sometimes we've over-spiritualized this. We've made people think their soul is just some uh, spiritual matter when it's very physical and it responds to nourishment. Notice what it says. He leads me by still waters. He gives me green pastures. He restores my soul. The soul seems to be restored by food and drink. I've suggested by beauty and rest <clears throat> and recreation. Um, and so <clears throat> he restores my soul. Uh, and you can listen to that last week. Uh, I've got a couple other things I want to say. I had said to you last week, um, told you this story about John the Apostle that, that there is this, uh, understand, this is the same bow and arrow, or not, no arrow, just bow, okay? Uh, the bow on your left is what we call taut, T-A-U-T. What does that look like? It's strung up, right? It has the string, so it's taut. The same bow on the right is untaut. It's a dumb bow and arrow. <laughs> That's a bad joke, I know. I'm sorry, but it just, you know, I just have to say these things that come in. It's untaught. It's an ignorant bow. <clears throat> not really. <laughs> it, just, it just means the string is not attached. And I told you the story, <clears throat> how that if you keep a bow constantly strung, it will lose its power. It will lose its power and, res and resilience. And I suggest to you that this idea of being restoring our soul is that we don't always have the bow taught. And I asked you last week to take some time to recreate, to, to look at some beauty, to, to, to laugh with friends, to restore your soul. Well, after class, and uh, he's not here today because I'm not a, a doctor. <clears throat> uh, oh, I'm a doctor, but I'm not one that can help you. And uh, yeah, we got a few doctors and physicians. They can actually help you. I, I'm, I'm one of those who can. A uh, <clears throat> young man who's in medical school, came, who's in our class, <clears throat> uh, came up to me and said this to me the other day. He said, uh, Cliff... Do you know that hemoglobin in your body has two conditions? And I said, uh, if this had anything to do with blood and drawing blood, no. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I stay away from that as much as I can. He's a medical school at OU, and he said, you know, hemoglobin is the matter. This is going to sound really stupid here, so okay. Uh, I got a couple of docs in here, so just forgive me. Uh, hemoglobin carries oxygen through the body to the lungs and the rest of the body to give it aerobic respiration so it has uh, energy. That's pretty good, right? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and so it's necessary for the hemoglobin to carry oxygen throughout the body. And there are two forms of hemoglobin, taut and relaxed. And I said, now talk to me about this. 
He said, <clears throat> relaxed hemoglobin is the hemoglobin that is much more likely to pick up oxygen in the bloodstream and be able to carry it to the lungs and to the tissues and the organs in the body. And when it's taut, <clears throat> it's released that oxygen, goes back to relaxed, and comes back ready to be able, if you will, to carry oxygen. That word, you can look it up uh, in some medical journals, that your hemoglobin, when it's taut, isn't carrying the oxygen. It's when it's relaxed that it's most likely to be able to pick it up and carry it. Through. I wrote in my notes this. I said this. I said um, that this matter of having our soul restored through rest and through beauty and laughter and food is in your DNA. That's the way you're created. It's in your DNA that if you are in a, if your hemoglobin's in a relaxed state or that receptive state for the oxygen, it is then able to carry it through the body and, and supply what the body needs to have energy. I just said to him, I said, are you, it would have been like, I asked him, would you be here next week? He says, I can't. So you got me, okay? <clears throat> That's it. <clears throat> but you ought to look into this, and I have been looking into this to say, isn't it interesting that, the ability to carry oxygen is, is, is reliant, if you will, on a relaxed hemoglobin that is able to take rest so it can gather the oxygen. So I'm just saying to you, I think this is really important. This is serious stuff here. When it says he restores my soul, I said to you last week, it doesn't mean you need to read more Bible verses. There's nothing wrong with that. doesn't mean you ought to pray more. Nothing wrong with that. It may mean you need to take a nap. It may mean that what you need to do is eat something good. It may mean you need to go and laugh your head off with some friends. It may mean that you need to go look at some beauty in this world and notice some wonder and glory of the creation and quit being so spiritual. The thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not the thoughts and opinions of Crossings Community Church, its elders, or leadership, or any medical doctor. Okay? So... That's it. But listen, this is important. He says he restores my soul. If, you're, if your life is like mine at times where the string is always taut, you sense that in your soul, don't you? When it's always taut. I know some guys up here, they, they get relaxed by riding motorcycles. That doesn't make any sense at all to me. Right? Right? Others do it by painting. Others do it by, by going to the mountains and looking at the mountains. Others do it by laughter with friends. Others, others' soul is restored by a good meal that they share around a table and, and talk. We're too spiritual about this. It says right here, he takes me by green pastures. He leads me by still waters. That's what restores my soul. That part of me that breathes the nefesh hayah. And so I just thought, I, I've just got to tell you that. I thought when, when Will told me that, I just about flipped out. I really wish he was here today. He's, he's a lot smarter than I am. So we need that. So, so in this provision that we've seen, let's move on. Number, next one, he guides me. Notice, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here's his provision. He, he guides me. Now, I want to talk to you. Th think about in your life. I want to talk about provision here. Think about your life when God provided for you. Whether it was a friendship or whether it was a, a, a job, 
or, or whether it was the opportunity to go somewhere and do something, think about the times that God provided for you. The provision. He leads me. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. He, he's my guide. This is the last provision we'll look at. Uh, it reminded me um, <clears throat> many years ago in 1984, that was a long time ago, <clears throat> uh, I resigned the church in Houston, Texas um, to uh, <clears throat> go to seminary. And I didn't <clears throat> have a job, and we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, and um, I, uh, we just <clears throat> we believed that's the way the Lord was guiding us and couldn't, <clears throat> couldn't make real sense out of it. So we get to Lexington, and um, I didn't have a job, so I called a guy <clears throat> that I knew that before, years ago, before that, I had worked at United Parcel Service, UPS. And I called this guy up, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> name is Roger, and I called Roger up and I said, hey, Roger, uh, <clears throat> I need a job. I want a job that I don't work weekends. I want a job <clears throat> that I don't have to work nights. I want a job that I have off holidays. I want a job, this is pretty, you know, hey, what, <clears throat> go for it. I mean, I, when I thought about it later, I thought, you weren't asking for much, were you? <laughs> And, and I just said, you know, I want one of those kind of jobs. And, he, and I said, who do I talk to at UPS to get back at work? Well, he made a couple of statements. He said, number one, we have a national no rehire policy. Oh, we don't rehire people that we've hired before and they left. Um, and I said, okay, but who do I need to talk to anyway? <laughs> and he said, God's name is George Knobloch. I'll never forget George. <clears throat> he said, uh, George Knobloch. And I said, okay, where is it? He said, well, you'll need to go down here on Gardenside because they hire through the Department of Human Resources and there are 5,000 applications in front of you. Again, okay, now where's that? I was not going to be deterred. I felt God was guiding us to go to school. And so I went down on Gardenside Drive where the United Parcel Service, it's off the campus of the main hub where they do that. It's a little office building. And I knocked on the door. I knew I needed to see, and the door opened, and this guy, I said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I need to talk to George Knobloch. He said he's not here. Now, I actually did this. I put my foot in the door <clears throat> right there. I said, <clears throat> and I said this. I'm not kidding you. I, I said, my name is Cliff Sanders, and I don't know why I said this. I think the shepherd was leading me. <clears throat> I said, because uh, I was the pastor of a church in Houston. Uh, <clears throat> I've been pastor. Wayne Bolenbach was on the staff there with us. Linda was keeping us all in line, <clears throat> trying to keep us from doing something stupid. Well, she never was able to stop that. But, uh, so uh, I, I had just been a pastor. But I said, I'm, my name is Cliff Sanders, and I went to Gulf Coast Bible College in Houston, Texas, and I'm here to go to Asbury Seminary, and I need a job. This guy looked at me, which obviously, he's in the door. Stop it, Cliff. And he, and he said to me, is John Conley still the president at Gulf Coast Bible College in Houston? My first thought, this guy's a warlock. <clears throat> I'm serious. That's the first thought that came to me. <clears throat> he, he's, he, you know, he's, like, like Becky says, he has ESPN. No. <clears throat> <clears throat> Becky said that one time. She, somebody had this kind of precognition, and, and she goes, Cliff, I think he's got ESPN. <laughs> and I said, I bet he does, but he also has ESP. No. <clears throat> uh, sorry, Beck. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> My, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was so rattled by that. I thought, this, this guy has ESP or he's a warlock or something. And I said, yeah, that was, why didn't I think of that? Well, uh, you know, ever. 
I said, how do you know that? He said, well, my pastor is Roy Tincher, who used to pastor in Oklahoma City. And he said, my pastor is Roy Tincher. Roy Tincher is the guy that I had to send my credentials as a minister from Texas to, to, to Kentucky. He said, come in, I got a job for you. Now, you know, for four years, I was at United Park. I went to work at 2.30 in the morning. That's okay, because I didn't work weekends. I didn't work nights. In 1984, I was making $11.40 an hour. Y'all remember what gas was in 1984? $0.75. I was making $11.40 an hour. I had every American vacation paid. I had full medical, dental, and optometrical benefits. And three weeks and two days paid vacation. UPS. <clears throat> if you were ever traveling with me and we're going down the highway and I see one of those feeders, that's what they call the tractor trailers. Or I see a package car, that's what y'all think are trucks. I do this. <clears throat> I'm telling you, <clears throat> for four years... I worked at United Parcel Service. So, so anyway, so he says, we can't hire you. So the rest of the story. So he goes and picks George up at the airport. He flown from Chicago. And uh, this, I've taken a lot longer than I should, but I just want to, this story is just, uh, I graduated 30 years ago from seminary. And uh, my first time. And uh, uh, he went and picked George up and George says, well, let's look him up. Because if he's in the system, he can't, can't get a job. National overhire, no rehire. Guess what? Couldn't find my records. <clears throat> I still had my union card that all I had to pay was 50 cents to reactivate. I got hired. He said, treat him like a new employee. Now, how was that? I was doing my best to try to follow the shepherd. He will guide you into paths of righteousness. Doesn't mean I don't always hear it correctly. There have been lots of times I've goofed up. But it says right here, <clears throat> he'll lead us. Why, why is this? He guides us. Why? Why be led? This is going to be deep, okay? Right here. Why be led? He's smarter than you are. <laughs> He's smarter than you are. I mean, all of that <clears throat> process of saying, Lord, I, I want to honor you, but I, I, I do have some things here I, I'm praying to you about. You know, he, he guides us. You know, he guides us. Why? Why be led? I wrote down here. Because... In summary, understanding is that God knows more than we do. I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but I was in my 30s. I, w I was in my 30s. I'll go ahead and give you this one here. <clears throat> the shepherd knows. <clears throat> I was in my 30s one day driving down 134th Street <clears throat> to school to teach Bible and theology. <clears throat> I was in my, well, I wasn't, I was, that couldn't have been in my 30s. I had to be in my 40s. And I'm only 43 today, so, you know, <clears throat> it was last week. Um. I remember the place where I was driving. I, and again, I, I had uh, two degrees, two, two graduate degrees, a master's and a doctorate. I told one time, what we need is preachers with fewer degrees and more temperature. That'll get to the back of the minute. <clears throat> but uh, we'll get that. But I remember driving down there on 134th, just before I got to May Avenue, and came to this conclusion. I, I don't know what had happened to me. I don't know how it had not been so conscious when I finally said, Lord, you know how life is best lived. 
I don't think that had ever occurred to me. I thought Jesus was a great religious leader. I thought he knew about going to heaven. I thought he knew about sin. I thought he knew about holiness. I don't think it had ever really become conscious in my mind that I thought, you know what? You know how life works. You know what works and what doesn't work. I ought to follow you because when you say if you'll give, you'll receive. If you serve, you'll be able to lead. If you die to yourself, you'll have life. I, it had never occurred. I don't know. Has that occurred to you that not just about going to heaven, not just about sin, not just about religious things? He knows how life works. And so with my money and my time and my relationships and my work, I'm, I, I've, I came to that conclusion some time ago to say, how do I understand what Jesus would say of how this works? You see, we, we need his guidance because the shepherd knows. I tell my students, we have to come to some conclusion about this. Either he does or he doesn't. I mean, either, either he's trustworthy and knowledgeable and he understands and he's the shepherd and he knows or he doesn't. And we just have to bridge that issue. I was talking the other day to one of our children's pastors. I'm so impressed with the children's ministry around here. They, they really uh, want to understand. We were talking about this and, and they said, you know, we don't want our children to just have a transactional relationship with Jesus. I prayed the prayer, got baptized, going to heaven. You know, and then the rest of their life is sort of lived out. <clears throat> they said, we don't want that. And I said, <clears throat> I understand that. And we were discussing, what do we do? Well, <clears throat> we teach children that Jesus is reliable. We, we teach children that Jesus is trustworthy. <laughs> we teach children that Jesus knows more than they do. We teach children all of these things about Jesus, and then we ask them to do this. Now, I, this is not popular. We ask them to surrender to Jesus. We don't hear that word much anymore, do we? Surrender. And I said to the children's pastors, I said, the, re the reason we can't get them to surrender is we haven't spent time saying, is he really reliable? Is he really trustworthy? Is he just a cosmic jerk that says if you want to do it, you can, or if it's fun, stop it? You know? Is he really reliable? Does he really know more than we know? Does he really have our best interest at heart? Is he really concerned about our well-being? If he is, surrender to him. I talked to a guy years ago who said this. He said, that's the word to follow him. To why be led? Because he knows. This guy said to me, he said, you know, the word is surrender to the shepherd. He said, the reason we won't talk about that, it's not good for business. But that's the issue, isn't it? Lead me. I surrender. I was thinking about something the other day and working through something. And, I, and, I, and as I was working through it, I thought, I need to surrender. And I, and I got afraid for a second. I thought, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why am I afraid to surrender to the shepherd? What, what am I afraid of? What, am I afraid that he isn't really that good? Am I, am I afraid that, 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 that he's... That he really doesn't have my best interest heart? Am I afraid that he really doesn't care about me? Probably. See, it says here, he'll lead me. The shepherd knows. The shepherd knows. I, I want to tell you something about sheep that I discovered and, and uh, why, why, why we should be led. 
But the BBC reported a few years ago that in Turkey, um, there was a group of shepherds that watched in horror to hundreds of sheep who followed each other over a cliff. First, one sheep went over the edge and then another, only to be followed by the whole flock. According to the first report, more than 400 sheep died from the 15-meter fall, their bodies falling on the other 1,100 that went over. Sheep have this funny impulse. It's not funny to them. That wasn't funny. Strange. It's called the herd. Wherever the herd goes, they go. Without, without any kind of information or understanding. And a good shepherd knows how to lead him because of that tendency. This has happened over and over again. Where they just get in line, they just get going in one big group, and all of a sudden they're off of the side of a cliff and they're all dead. This idea of we need him to guide us. We need, because he knows more than we do. He understands all of this matter. So what about this? The shepherd knows. What if you decided today to allow the shepherd to guide you in an area of your life that you've been resisting? To give him control and affirm that this shepherd knows how to lead you. You know, he guides me. I need a guide. We, we, we all, <clears throat> the shepherd knows. The shepherd knows. Now, I'm not saying you have to have some big deal here. I'm, I'm saying, you know, maybe there's an area of your life or my life, you know, I different times of the week where I want to respond to somebody in the way Cliff wants to respond. You know, I like to teach people how to drive on the Hefner Parkway. <clears throat> that sign says, yield, you're going behind me. Okay, I have the right of way here. So I'm going to teach you here. Hey, this could be where we, we've resisted. We, I, I mean, I sense the spirit and the shepherd say to me once in a while, quit doing that. <laughs> this is not a contest, right? It, it could be where we've resisted him in the way we relate to others. It could be the way we resist him in trusting with our income. It could be the way we resist him in believing to pray for a person that we think, ah, they're not going to make it. This isn't, you know, don't, let's don't start dramatic. Let's don't start, you know, like I'm going to sell my house and leave for Hawaii. I'll go. No. <clears throat> you know what I mean? I'm, let's, 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 not, let's not swing for the fence right here. Is there something in my life or your life that we would surrender to him and say, I, I do believe you're smarter than I am in this area. It's the way I talk to my friends, or it's the way I drive, or it's the way I spend my money, or it's the way I spend my free time. Any number of those things. This, this matter of he knows. So I'm just going to ask you. Here's the next one. We need guidance. <clears throat> we need guidance. Um, maybe this hemoglobin thing... Um, uh, got me thinking of this, but you know, a lot of us need guidance. There are many marriages that are now being helped, being guided, not by books or marriage conferences or retreats. They're being helped by apps <laughs> that give directions. <laughs> 
Some of the interesting conversations me and my wife have had that we had to have counseling over was, I know where I'm going, just give me some more time. <clears throat> right? Anybody else? It's a guy thing. <clears throat> right? Uh, I've just finally decided that I need to use Google Maps or Waze or several apps to get me where I'm going. I need guidance. I generally think if you just give me enough time, I can figure this out. But uh, Becky is not so inclined to believe that. But this idea of we need to be led because we need guidance. We need guidance. Now, there's something here I'd like for you to think about uh, with respect to this, that we need guidance. Um, and I, I hope, you know, I've got a lot of things crashing my brain right now, but here's the deal. It's going to feel like you went to the doctor today. <clears throat> um, there's some biology to this matter of being guided by the shepherd, I think. Um, in some of my work in uh, leadership, <clears throat> I discovered that there's something in your brain that sometimes makes being guided by the Spirit difficult. There's an area in your brain called the limbic system that has a thing called the amygdala. Have you heard of it? Uh, it's biological. And it has to do with the brain here, close to the brain stem, and it triggers responses that are <clears throat> fight or flight. Let me explain that to you. If you heard a really loud noise, right? I mean, it was scary noise. Or you heard somebody run in here and do some crazy thing. Some people in here would stand up, maybe even do this, or they would at least get into an alert position and others would get under the table, <laughs> right? That, that's a, a gross generalization. But I want to say something here, why we need the shepherd to guide us. Because in our reactions and responses in life, sometimes we need guidance because of the way our brain works. Have you ever done something at the end? Why did I ever do that? Anybody besides me? Yeah. It can be that the part of your brain that is reacting to this stressful, difficult situation, the amygdala does not think. It's incapable of it. Daniel Goldman, who's written a great deal on this at Harvard, has said that it's the most primitive part of the brain. It's right at the brain stem, and it's the caveman brain. A rhino, rhino, rhinosaurus, or whatever those things are, is in the cave, run, right? The, the, the problem is that as we get into stressful and difficult situations, and we get afraid, this is why I'm saying we need the shepherd to lead us. We're either going to fight it or run from it. And these natural reactions or these normal reactions begin to happen that it begin to where we then freak out in one sense where we're going to either fight or run. I just was, I was reading through this. I kept thinking, he guides me. He, I need guidance. I, I need this. And I'm thankful for some of this uh, research uh, that as I, over the years that I, that I worked through that, that sometimes I feel like this. You ever feel like that? <clears throat> huh? It is that German shepherd, isn't it? <clears throat> American shepherd, Jewish shepherd, the German shepherd's back. I knew there was going to be a way I'd get him in there. <clears throat> what I'm saying is this, that sometimes understanding ourselves or understanding the biology of ourselves is sometimes what we need to understand is another reason why we need the shepherd to guide us. Why we need the shepherd to guide us. Um, <clears throat> I'm a fight. If something happens where I get nervous like that, I fight. I jump right in. And then later go, wait, wait, what are you doing here, Cliff? 
because it doesn't, it doesn't think. We, we have this biological matter that you've probably identified or noticed at some point in your life, haven't you? That whenever you get afraid or you get scared, uh, that, that something begins to happen in your thinking. You know? and, I, and I appreciate some of my friends who've helped me with this to say it's not really your reaction to the situation. It's your reaction to the reaction. I'm afraid. I'm scared. Lord, what do you want to do here? It's not, oh, I'm afraid. Oh, I must not be a Christian. It's not, I'm afraid or I'm angry. I'm going to fight. It's my reaction to the reaction. And so when it says here, he guides me, I'm thinking, I need this kind of guidance because I got one of these in my brain. It's funny that, or not funny, but interesting that the, the more threat there is in a relationship, like I always wonder about this. When people would come to me at my church or the church I pastored and they would, uh, they would uh, talk to me about their problems, I was brilliant. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I'm waiting for that. I was brilliant. I could cut through things and see things and identify things. Becky come to me with the garbage disposals broken and I don't have a clue in my brain what to do. Why? There's threat here. The closer a relationship is in your life, the more threat there is. Danger. Anxiety. The closer that relationship is, a person, a child, a grandchild, a boss, a friend, the closer that relationship is, the more anxiety is part of it. And I come to realize I can't talk to Becky about some of those things because I'm too anxious. I want to fix it. I don't want it to be there. I want it to stop because I'm afraid. Right? That's where the shepherd has to help. Does this make any sense? This is where we need the shepherd to guide me. Left to my amygdala, left to my limbic system, up here's the neocortex. It's got a long trip to make to get up here. That the idea here is this notion of have you understood that maybe you need this, the, the shepherd to guide you because of your own biology. This is biology. This isn't spiritual stuff. This is biology. And people have these tendencies that when stress or anxiety happens, they freak out by either fighting or running. So we say we need the shepherd to lead us. Third reason. Yes. Oh, yeah. Did y'all hear, for the sake of the request, she goes, we've been taught to go to ourselves for cancer, for, you know, some t big, t we go to God. But for all these other things, we go to ourselves. You know, I can handle this. Instead of going to the shepherd and saying, how do I handle this? What do I do? How do I? Listen, I'm, th 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 yes, thank you, Diane. That, th there's some science behind this. And I want to tell you what it is. It's called an amygdala hijacking. It's called an amygdala hijacking, where your brain gets hijacked to do something, take action, make it happen. Now, there are other people in this room that are probably more qualified to say this than I am. If you can talk to Gerald Epling and a couple other people. <laughs> but there's some basic understanding here that sometimes we need, we, we need what, what Diane's saying, that 
that we tend to, to rely on ourselves. Instead of saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down, slow down, take a breath. You're freaking out. You're afraid. You're going to fight or fight. You're going to say things that you don't mean to say. That's true. You're going to do things you don't mean to do because you're too freaked out about it. You've had this amygdala hijacking. If you're interested in this research, I would encourage you to read a book called Emotional Intelligence. Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, G-O-L-E-M-A-N. He's a Harvard uh, uh, neuroscientist or Harvard researcher in emotional intelligence. Daniel Goleman uh, in terms of brain uh, or emotional intelligence. And right what you said, uh, Diane, is, it, Diana, is this thing is the reason we need to be led is we wander. We wander. Sheep have this uh, tendency without uh, 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 matter is that they wander. Uh, note it, if you'll remember, it said he, he, he leads me in paths of right. Why? Because I wander. Sheep are notorious for wandering around. They feed, they keep their head down, they're distracted, and all of a sudden they're over here somewhere they shouldn't be. Uh, they, they have this incredible tendency, if you will, almost to be un, unsatisfied. And so they constantly wander around. Isaiah 53, 6, if you're going to write this verse down, says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have wandered to our own way. <clears throat> we, we, we've wandered to our own way. And so in this idea of us wandering, uh, getting distracted, you know, I saw this the other day. If I had a dollar for every time, I want a puppy. You know, anybody live like that? <clears throat> Yeah, we, we're distracted. There's too many distractions. I showed my students all the research that's coming in about cell phones and iPads and how it's distracting thought processes. So we have a tendency to wander. You ever felt that way? Remember that old hymn, prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Prone to wander. Boy, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm distracted. I, I, I see all of these other things and the wandering. That's why I need the shepherd to lead me, to guide me. It's fascinating to me when we go up to Kansas. That's not the fascinating part. But uh, <laughs> I, I've seen this so many times. I think it's bizarre. These cattle are in a field that's hundreds of acres behind them and got grass all over the place. And they're sticking their neck through a fence to eat a little bitty patch like this. And there's 500 acres back here. You ever notice that? I look at that and go, that's Cliff. <laughs> that's you, isn't it? We want to wander. We, we, we're, oh, well, look over here. Look over here. It's fascinating. I think, what are you? Go hit that. Hit, count it. Head like that, you know? But, it, but that's our tendency for us to want to wander instead of being led. So he says, he leads me. I need somebody to lead me because of wandering. I think I have this on your outline. I was thinking of this in class the other day. I was trying to talk to students about this similar idea, about trying to run your own life. Somewhat, Diane, what you're saying here about our wandering. And I think I've got this on here. That's not it. That's something, but that's not it. I was telling students, are we going to let Jesus run our life and guide us? Because you write the word run, there it is. Just add I. What word do you get? 
ruin. I mean, this comes back to this issue of, is this shepherd smart enough, wise enough, good enough to lead me? To, to, to lead me. This has gone longer. I, I've got where, where he's going to lead us. But I just want to remind you of some of the language of the New Testament here. We tend to wander. What did Jesus ask people to do? Follow him. You know what would be a good a practice for you this week? The word believe in Jesus is certainly there a lot. But when Jesus was talking to people about being his disciples, he said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must take up their cross and what? Follow me. That's the real issue there. We're following the shepherd. I'm surprised how sometimes that language doesn't find its way into our thinking. I've told you before, I don't, I don't use the name Christian anymore. It doesn't mean anything in my judgment. If people ask me, what am I? I say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That, that's, that's what I'm learning and growing to do. Christian to me doesn't have much meaning anymore. Plus, it's not a verb. <laughs> I need to be a verb, don't you? I need to be a follower of Jesus. And so this, this matter of, of, of being led. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do this real quick. Where were you are led? Notice what it says. Where does he lead us? Paths of righteousness. Where does he lead us? Paths of righteousness. I want to ask you to consider something here. Um, <clears throat> the word righteous here, siddek in, in, in Hebrew, is the idea of what is right. Righteousness sometimes has a real religious ring to it, doesn't it? Like, well, you think you're more righteous than I am. <clears throat> but righteous at its base understanding is right. Right. <clears throat> what, he, he guides me into a righteous path. Where are we led? <clears throat> Into a righteous path. What's right? What's right for what? What's right for sheep? What's right for your needs? Do we have enough trust to believe that this shepherd will lead me where I need to be? It's right. It's correct. It's the place I need to be. The place of safety for the sheep. The place of, of, of life and vitality. And so the idea here is we're led into these paths of righteousness. Now, certainly, 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 the, the paths of righteousness would certainly be something have to do with, if you will, right living. But he's not going to lead us in a place that's going to be harmful to us or hurtful to us as we recognize his leadership in our life. And so the righteous path or the right path for your life. Again, this is where it comes back to trust in the shepherd following him. The righteous path. Also, <clears throat> this other idea. So how does he do that? I'm going to give you three real quick things real fast and we'll be done. He guides me in the righteous paths. How does he do that? I would say one is he leads me in the righteous path through his word. That's pretty obvious. Through his word. This, this shepherd is going to teach you and lead you and guide you and me as well. Through his word. I'm fascinated with the research I read that says that many... People that go to church, uh, Christians read their Bible about two days a week. About two days a week. I would encourage you to think about to do that more often. The, the, the idea of getting guidance and help on a regular basis. So, number one, the Word. Second, this is a little more difficult. So, more difficult. How does He lead us in these paths of righteousness? Through His Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, 13, 
when the Spirit comes, He'll lead you into all truth. Wow, what does that mean? He will lead you into all truth. I don't think that means it's going to tell you how to invest your 401k necessarily. Because in the context of John, when it says he will lead you into all truth, Jesus has said back in John 14, 6, he is the truth. So this shepherd will lead you into greater understanding, greater knowledge of who Jesus is. He'll lead you into greater understanding of the person of Jesus. And that's what we need. Not just truth in general, not just biblical truth or saying, I know penal substitutionary theory or I understand all the atonement. No, no. The context here is he'll lead you into all truth. He will lead you into greater, deeper understanding of the person of Jesus. He's the truth. Not some abstract list. Not some conceptual understanding of doctrine. He's going to lead you, this shepherd, in the paths of righteousness to all the truth. Now, the third way I think that this shepherd leads us into his paths of righteousness is through his people. You ever, you ever sat down with some other followers of Jesus and as they talk, as they share, all of a sudden now, things are getting clear to you about what you might want to do or what you might need to do. So, some idea here from God's people. So his word, his spirit, his people. Now, why does he do it? Look here. For his name's sake. For his name's sake. That sounds kind of arrogant, doesn't it? He, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I wrote, I wrote in, the, the, um, in the margin of my Bible is this. Why, why would he say it that way? I, I want to suggest a couple of reasons. <clears throat> in a shepherd's life or in the sheep's life, the sheep's condition is a reflection on the shepherd. Right? The sheep's condition is a reflection of the shepherd. He's saying here, David maybe, that he leads me like this for his namesake so that the re reputation and understanding of the shepherd is made clear. Why would he want that? Here's my, this is Clifford. Okay, again, just, Take it for what it is. I'm, this is the way I'm seeing this. You know why I think? I think the shepherd would like more sheep. I think for his namesake, if other people realize the condition of these sheep is good, other sheep might want to join. The reputation of this shepherd now is known as a good shepherd, a wise shepherd. His name is now great. His name is now faithful. His name is now wise. His name is now attentive. His name is now loving. His name is now kind. That other sheep would want to be in that fold as opposed to this. So he leads us in paths, not for some arrogance sake, not for just some, some idea that he wants to be great, but that others may know of the greatness of this shepherd. Here's the question for me and for you, maybe. If we follow him as our shepherd, are we following him close enough, or are we following him, if you will, close enough, that his reputation is getting better? You know what I'm saying? As we follow the shepherd, 
is the shepherd's reputation getting better because of the way that we follow. Because of the way we allow him to care for us. There, there is some sense in which his reputation is based on our experience. So are we living, are we following, is our life, say, an adequate representation for his name's sake? I think he wants more sheep. I think he wants more people to see what a quality of life there is following him. So this is his provision to lead us. Will you let him? Will I let him? If I think he's smart enough, wise enough, good enough, kind enough. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this following stuff uh, <clears throat> gets us out of our comfort zone at times. <clears throat> it uh, causes us to have to reflect on things. So today I pray for myself and others that you will work in our hearts in such a way that we have good confidence that we can follow you. That we know <clears throat> that you have our best interest at heart. That we are convinced that you're good all the time. For some of us, Lord, that's, a, that's still a hill to climb. And you're patient and you're kind. And we believe, Lord, that you'll help us as we invest time thinking and praying and seeking as you lead us. For others of us, there just is this need to just take the next step. So help us to be willing to be led in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake so that other people will see the good condition of our lives and be interested to follow this shepherd. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.